What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's installment of what we are calling the NBA Bombshell Podcast Collaboration. I'm your host, Jay, and with the homies, I have a list of guys on the roster today. We got Pedro and Brooks representing the Hear Me Out Podcast. Yes, sir. The Hoop Talk Podcast. Jake with the Buckets Only Podcast. And the homie Ian, host of The Impact. But in the introductions, my guys, let's get right into it. There was news on top of news, on top of news, all of yesterday. It started at 410 when Shams, Woj, Ramona Shelburne, they all got in their bag on Twitter and reported that James Harden is now a part of the Brooklyn Nets. But just when you thought they were done, the media circuit just kept on rolling. There was four teams involved in a big trade. Of course, we know that the big fish was James Harden, but the Pacers got Karis LeVert in the second-round pick. The Cavaliers got Jared, Jared Allen and Torian Prince. And the Rockets got a big haul. Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Karooks from, from Brooklyn, three of Brooklyn's first-round picks, mm. and a bunch of first-round swaps. We're not going to see Brooklyn in the draft for a while, but they're not worried about that right now. They're trying to go get a chip. Yeah, We're no. going to start with Brooks in the corner with this one, bro. What was the thought process after you see this, this trade go down, bro? Bruh, so I just got done doing, like, a little basketball workout with a friend. I was hooping outside, you know how it goes. And I seen the news on my phone. I'm like, bruh, James Harden got traded. And I was so blown, bruh. Let me, first of all, and we we spoke about this before when we when we all when when we uh, collab like you gotta sell the farm to get James Harden and what did they do? They sold the farm. And I, I and I gotta get this off too. The fact of the matter is, this is the second time in like a decade that the Nets got finessed, like abolished the Nets' ability to trade immediately. You cannot continue to allow yourself to get finessed like this, bro. Stop bending yourself over for these superstars. And that's another thing too. Like we keep on allowing these guys to just do whatever they want to do. And then it ends up hurting, like, the supporting cast, ends up hurting their teams. John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, are, are they're, they're fussing and they're carrying on about James Harden, you know, disrespecting them. And it's true. You can't keep doing that to your teammates, bro. And we got Kyrie. We don't know what the heck is going on with Kyrie. So it's just all a big mess. It's all a big mess to me. Hey, Ian, I'm just, I'm just saying, bro, Brooks feeling a little dicey about it. The Nets look cool on 2K, but they look like the new uh, – the, I mean, they look like the housewives of NY right now, bro. <laughs> the locker room is looking crazy. How are we look. feeling about this trade, my guy? All right, so I know I'm wearing a Lakers jersey, but, you know, you got to give respects to the Mamba, Kobe, we know. But I'm a Seas nice. fan. So my first reaction was every Eastern Conference contender is sad right now. It is extremely sad right now. And then I'm also like, wait, hold on. I'm gonna have to pull off one of them jokes right now. It's been in my head for far too long. Uh, it kind of goes with the winners losers thing, but I'm not gonna go too deep into it. Every Houston stripper took an L, bro. <laughs> Every single one. You ain't got the first one. <laughs> <You> t- <laughs> my man Harden. As soon uh, there was an Instagram picture that somebody put a meme up saying all Houston strippers, you know, was like. They they all sad right now. Harden liked the picture. He liked the picture. 
That's how you know. That's how you yeah, know caught how in big 4K. Big impact he was caught in 4K. Exactly. That's how you knew the big of an impact he had in Houston. But in all seriousness, when I got it, it's, this is basically like where were you moment, really. When I got it, I literally got home from work. I'm tired. I get it on my phone. I said in the chat, I dropped my phone. I thought I cracked my phone. I swear. Because I was like, there's no way they actually did the same thing they did in 2011 when they traded with the Celtics. Oh, they got absolutely fleeced. That's that. I can't. There's so much to explain. Why? Do they have beef with draft picks? Like, what is going on, man? I don't understand it. Because there's no way you give up this many draft picks. And what if it doesn't work? We can go into that later on. But what if it doesn't work? Was it worth it? Right now, it's up in the air. I don't know. Man, it's going to somebody. Please. Hey, <sighs> hey Jake, it's a, it's a lot of negativity in here, bro. I, I'm just wondering, do we got any love for this for this Brooklyn Nets trade, or are we we still feeling the vibes that Ian's showing off right now? I mean, I was kind of okay with the move until I saw what Houston gave up to get Oladipo. And then I'm like, okay, well, why didn't Brooklyn just trade a first-round pick and Karis Levert to get Oladipo because Oladipo, he's a guy that you can, he's fine with being the second or third guy on a team with Harden, KD, and Kyrie. Those are three number one guys. Like no one else on the team is going to touch that ball when it's going around. And it's just like, you can't have three alphas on the same team. It's not going to work. Um, and so Oladipo, I mean, that's a dub for the Rockets that they were able to get him because I do like Oladipo as a player. Um, but for the Nets, man, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what they're trying to do with that. They have no team outside of those top three, and that's gonna be that's gonna be toxic locker room too. Facts. Hey, Dro, that ball looking real burnt right now, bro. A lot of dribbling taking place. <laughs> I mean, we not even in the court yet. I mean, where you at? You see the drop on Twitter? Where you where you head at? Yeah, so I'm gonna have to agree with Ian on this one, man. I don't know what the Nets are doing. Uh, I also agree with Brooks. You got. You can't. Whoever is in charge of the Nets, man, they sh- they need to have their rights stripped from them to be able to give out these draft picks. The Rockets, though, the Rockets are the big winners, and I think people aren't talking about this enough, right? There's one, two, three, the twenty two, twenty four, and twenty six picks from Brooklyn, and then they get uh, pick swaps in twenty one, twenty three, twenty five, and twenty seven, along with Milwaukee's twenty twenty two first round pick via Cleveland. Bro, they are set for the next decade on draft picks and probably solid one too being that it's gonna be from Cleveland, right? So let me ask you guys this. If it if it comes from Cleveland, is that still going to be like if Cleveland is bad, they'll have a high draft pick? Yeah. Coming yeah. from Milwaukee. So they're well, set on these draft them. picks. Depends on the protections they set by that time, but you know that that type of stuff switches once we get closer to that draft. So we'll see. So the Rockets got all these draft picks. They got Christian Woods, who's coming out into his own. You got John Wall, who's looking like he really wants to be there and be the true alpha of Houston. And you got Boogie, who's going there to be like his, uh, basically like his bodyguard, like John Wall's bodyguard. He literally said, "I don't care." Should've been in Washington. Yeah, he should have came to Washington. We were saying that a minute ago, but shoot, Houston is the big winners here. I think uh, they won more than Brooklyn lost because Brooklyn is still getting James Harden, who is a MVP candidate every other year. Uh, you got Kyrie still, you know, who knows if you got him or not. You got KD, who's going to be hungry all like every game anyways, but the shakeup is going to be interesting to see 
how do you replace Jared Allen? How do you replace that production? That's a lot of production he was giving you. Spencer Dinwiddie out for the season. They might end up having to make another move at some point before the trade deadline. But I think overall, man, the biggest takeaway that I have from this and what I've seen it, I wasn't surprised that it happened. I was just surprised that it happened so quick. And I'm not going to lie, I was impressed that James Harden was able to basically eat and throw games right out of Houston to the point where, bro, this man put on 15 pounds in like a week, played like shit on purpose. He came out 44 and 17 in the beginning, 30 in the next game. And he just threw the rest of the games. Houston won from this, bro. And they didn't have to give up really, you know, they obviously are not going to give up anything else when you're giving away James Harden. They really got back their money's worth, I would say. And I think over time it's really going to show. The Nets, like you guys said, three ball-dominant guys, don't know how well that's going to go. And their benches should be interesting. Ryan, we in this spot right now, bro, where – it's not looking too hot. Everybody's not liking the trade too much, at least in terms of what Brooklyn's made their moves on. Where did you stand on this? You know, me and you were literally in the middle of recording right before this took place. We hit we hit stop button right as we was finishing our last little episode. Fifteen minutes later, it drops. We was hell-bent on turning the camera back on, but we had to bring the bros in. How you feeling after we finally got to let it marinate a little bit? So I've had 24 hours to think about Kind of how I feel about this trade. I know, Jalen, like you mentioned, we were about 15 minutes after we recorded one of our episodes that we found out that James Harden was traded to the Brooklyn Nets. And at first, I thought the idea of James Harden coming to Brooklyn would be huge because that would make Brooklyn maybe the best team in like 10 years, maybe the best team since the 72-win Bulls. But then as the season played out, I kind of thought that they didn't really need him. I thought the chemistry on the floor was great, especially with Dinwiddie playing uh, at the two as a combo guard and then Karis LeVert coming off the bench. I thought that that was a solid lineup and Brooklyn was winning ball games. But then Spencer Dinwiddie tore his ACL. Kevin Durant has been out for a couple of games. Who knows what's happening with Kyrie? He may end up not even playing another game this season, as according to Stephen A., he suggests that Kyrie Irving should retire, so who knows what's going on with Kyrie, but the one thing that you guys haven't pointed out yet is Karis LeVert, because Karis LeVert now has his own team, and Jalen's been preaching this for pretty much as long as we've done for the Hoop Talk podcast. Karis LeVert deserves to have his own team, and this could not have been a better situation for him to go to Indiana with Malcolm Brogdon and an MVP candidate into Montez Sabonis, especially with the way he's playing right now. And especially with a first-year head coach as well, like 7-4 and four with a pretty talented roster, and you just gave up Victor Oladipo after months of hearing that he may or may not be leaving Indiana, and he's even in a better situation in Houston. And it, that's the crazy part now is that, like you guys harpened on, like, like you guys harped on, the fact that in 2013, the Nets pulled off a similar trade to get Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And they were pretty much out of their prime at that point. This kind of seems like that type of trade, especially with the way that James Harden's been playing. I mean, the past five games, 21 points on 5 of 17 shooting, 
15 points, a 5 of 14 from the floor, 15 points, 6 of 13 from the floor, 20 points, 7 of 14 from the floor, 16 points, 5 of 16. Terrible. The new comparisons are now, is this similar to the big three that Steph and Clay and Kevin Durant were on in Golden State? And I feel like those are the expectations. I feel like it's only championships, but I feel like if this goes wrong, this could end up like Hakeem Olajuwon, Charles Barkley, and Scotty Pippen of the 98 Rockets. Wow, that's a good one. I think think that's a perfect way to kind of close that out, moving into the whole winners and losers thing, because that's the kind of stakes that we're talking about. You know what I mean? Talking about being in a position where you might have, I don't know necessarily if you can say gutted their current team, right? Because we always kind of viewed Spencer Dinwiddie as being a guy who might have been included in this trade once upon a time. And now he wasn't. Obviously, that has to do with the injury, but they pretty much put themselves in a position where similar where similar situation to where the Rockets were before this. Now they don't have a draft pick until 2028, and that's rough. So, Ian, we're going to spin the block real quick. You kind of already alluded, alluded to it a little earlier. Who, who do you have as a winner or a loser in this whole thing? Because there's a lot of teams involved. There's a lot of players involved. And there's a lot of different situations taking place, so I think there's a lot of different ways we can pull from this. Uh, I mean, I was going to touch on Karis LeVert, but I think Ryan pretty much summed that up. And he's right about it. I think Karis LeVert is a huge winner in this, getting his own team and all that. But I'm going to go with the loser, and I think it's Kyrie. Um, well, one of those multiple losers, one is Kyrie. I think that's the one that stands out to me. Um, think about it this way. In 2015-2016, uh, Braun and Kyrie were on the same team on the Cavs. Braun is the bad man. Kyrie's Robin, right? Kyrie wanted his own team, right? Basically, Kyrie wanted his own team. He goes to the Celtics. It doesn't work out well. As a Celtics fan, I don't want to recount that. We're not going to go into pain. Anyway, but then he gets, you know, he wants to team up again with another star. He realizes that leadership role is harder than it looks. This man went from being a Robin to somebody's Batman to an Alfred to somebody's Robin to somebody's Batman. This man clearly doesn't know that he has to take a back seat to Harden, who's one of the best prolific scorers in the game, and KD is a slim reaper. If Kyrie really thought that whenever he comes back, we don't know when he's coming back, that he thought he was going to be a primary, like, score on this team in terms of the top two options no that's not it that's really not it so now it's kind of like um i think i believe joe touched on it a little bit there's some egos in there as well dude can it really work if one person you're talking about guys that can put up 40 a night not all three are going to be putting up 40 a night one person is going to be ended with probably 15 10 I'm telling you, there's going to be, and think about it, not everybody's going to be on every game. So when I look at which three are going to struggle, which of the three is going to struggle, I think it, me, I think it's Kyrie. Unless, unless Harden keep putting on pounds, then maybe. But I don't see that way. I don't see it that way. So I got to say, big, big loser, and this is Kyrie for me. Well, Brooks, I think that Kyrie's already put us in a pretty weird position when looking at the Nets right now because we don't even know when he's coming back on the court. It's already been confirmed so far that we're not going to see him for the rest of the week. And they're saying that it could be a little bit longer. It's making things really complicated. Beyond Kyrie, in terms of winners and losers, where's the where's the upside? Where's the low where's the low end? Where are you where are you feeling in terms of winners and losers so far with this trade? 
now that you've got to really look at it. So, and, and I think Ryan, Ryan touched on it, and I think um, Jake touched, touched on it really well earlier, too. You have Karis LeVert and Victor Oladipo that really won this trade. You know what I mean? Vic is on the upside of getting that from a from a quad tear or a patella tear. I'm not even sure what it was um, at this point. They, you know, they get to redeem themselves. They get to have their own teams. They get to be alpha males again. That's fantastic. Um, the clear loser, again, the Nets depth and the Nets locker room. Like, you get rid of two guys that were really long-term stays there in Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie's already out. Like, Kyrie, we don't know what the heck is going on with him. And, Ian, I'm kind of mad at you because you stole my – I was going to I was going to make that joke. <laughs> I joke. I saw that on Twitter. I was like, "Damn, I got, I got, I got to make sure I do this." <laughs> but um, yeah, these guys—they're not the Warriors. They're not Clay, Steph, Draymond, and uh, and KD. Like, you know, James Harden isn't gonna go back to his OKC role, being like that pull-up dribbler guy, um, being like a catch and shoot guy. You know what I mean? That's KD. KD can do that really well. Kyrie can do that, but that's not James Harden's game. Like. The whole issue with CP3 and James Harden was the fact that James Harden didn't want to didn't want to move off ball and he didn't want to be involved in the offense unless he had the ball. Is he going to pull off that same stunt with Brooklyn? I think the answer is I, I, I can see it happening again. You know what I mean? And Steve, Steve Nash, that guy's got a whole lot to figure out because he's got one more ego to fill. He's got less depth to deal with. I mean, what do you do? How do you how do you how do you deal with this? Um, yeah, I, I I hate to be down on the Nets, man, but I'm just I'm they lose as much as they as they gain getting rid of depth and, and James Harden. And I mean, I think it's rough because you look at the whole thing and you knew that somebody was gonna get gutted down down the wire. It started coming down to teams like I was. I mean, obviously we heard Brooklyn. We were hearing the 76ers for the longest. Toronto started getting in the mix. It was getting really interesting down the pipeline, but it ended up coming down to being Brooklyn and. We kind of figured with some of the noise that was going to happen, I think Dro probably said it best, it wasn't necessarily that you were surprised he got moved, it's that you were surprised he got moved not even 15 games into the year. That's the part that hits the, hits the hardest. But, Jake, let's, let's, keep, let's keep this ball rolling in terms of winners and losers. Who's somebody that you think might have took up in this situation? Because we got to bring the power of positivity to this right now. We know that Karis LeVert and Victor Oladipo are in better situations, but did any organizations – win in these circumstances. Yeah, I think that one winner that no one is really talking about is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, they had really no business being involved in this trade. And then they say, here, take Dante Exum and Milwaukee's 2022 first-round pick, which Milwaukee's always regular season champs, is probably going to be in, like, the low 20s. It's probably going to be, like, I'm sorry, high 20s. It'll probably be, like, 27 to 30. Not a valuable first-round pick. And then they get Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince. That's crazy because, I I mean, I'm really high on Jarrett Allen. I like him. I think he's going to be a really right. good player. Um, And now they, they're embracing the young team. They already have Garland and Sexton. And now they mix in Jarrett Allen. And watch what happens when they trade Andre Drummond because you know he's going to be a good piece for a contender and they can get more draft picks for him. Um, and better draft picks than Milwaukee's one. And, I mean, Dante Exum, who is, like, we haven't heard his name called in years. He doesn't have any big games. He's like a bench player for them. 
Um, and so for the Cavs to kind of throw themselves into the trade and get that, it's huge. And then I think the Rockets actually got better by trading Harden. Like, I mean, you heard how players felt about him, and they were actively talking about this in the press conference when Harden was still on the team. Like, yeah, we just feel disrespected by him. Like, we're trying to play as a team. He's not embracing that. Um, and so, I mean, you see that Harden is the problem. And I guess they're just adding fuel to the fire in Brooklyn and hoping that somehow it all works out, but I don't see it happening. Um, so Brooklyn is my biggest loser, and the Cavs are actually my biggest winner. Wow. And, Joe, I'm going to swing this over to you, bro, because I think I want I want you to elaborate a little bit more on what you said earlier, because I'm with you. I think that this is Rockets chemistry number one, duh. Like, out of anybody in this trade, I think the Rockets chemistry is the one that got the biggest takeaway, because now they're in a position where I think they're going to have guys that want to play together. Brooks, I'm with you. I wish this could have took place in Washington. Probably would have hooked us up a little bit better in that circumstance. Maybe Bradley wouldn't be as salty as he's been feeling. But we see that in Houston. We see Vic. He's on an expiring deal. He might be hooping for a check, and we know that gets grimy down the stretch when you're playing for a playoff spot. So when we look at the Rockets, what, what Joe, I think that's where I want you to pick up. Where do you project this team moving forward now that we're talking about, you know, they still have Eric Gordon. P.J. Tucker is the next domino to fall, it sounds like. But we still have, like I said, John Wall, Boogie Cousins. And, I mean, they've got regular – I mean, they've got rotational pieces like Ben McLemore and stuff that they can work with. So, like, how do you feel about this team moving forward through the season? Because we're really early in. Yeah, like like I said before, man, the trade deadline is coming up. They're definitely going to make more moves than uh, Cleveland, like you said, probably end up trading Andre Drummond. Uh, why do I think the Rockets are the biggest winners is because of how they're going to be able to have these draft picks. Whether they're high or not, we'll see, but they do have a lot of draft picks. That's going to be going well. And it's not like they're a rebuilding team right now. They're going to make the playoffs this year plus all these draft picks for the next six, seven years. Then you have John Wall, who's been working to get back to top shape for all this time. He got all the motivation from being traded from the Wizards and from being disrespected by James Harden. And Boogie is now having that that same feeling, too, where he's feeling disrespected. I think it's all added motivation. Plus, you know, it's a new lineup now. They can start fresh. It's like a breath of fresh air for this organization. On top of everything they already have, just the motivation is going to, I think, just push them to be a top-five team. You're still going to have trouble with the Lakers. You're still going to have trouble with the, the top teams like Utah, Denver, uh we see moving forward, maybe the Mavs push up in there now that Porzingis is coming back. It's a tough West, man. It's a lot of competition. Uh, but the Rockets, I think, will easily be in the playoffs, probably in the top five spots. And the biggest loser of this whole situation, it's really hard to say right now who's the biggest loser because I could say one thing right now and then the next day somebody gets injured and, and things change for, for a team or they make another move to fix things up. But just looking at it right now, uh, if I had to say there was a loser in this situation, oh man, it's so hard to say. It's so hard to say. It, it might be the Nets just because of the Kyrie availability thing, the Jared Allen being gone, the Karis LeVert. Have, we we definitely didn't mention that until Ryan uh, mentioned it. Karis LeVert is a big piece that's missing there, and now he got his own team. Uh, that should be interesting to see. But I would say just off of right now, it's probably the Nets. 
But if they all come three, all three of them come together, they can be special. I don't think they're going to be Warriors or Bulls special, but they can be really, really good. Like in the East, we're talking about too. You know, the East is a little bit, uh, it's competitive, but it's not quite the West. So we'll see, man. If they can get Kyrie to come in there and play, or at least figure out a way to get James Harden and Kevin Durant and what's left of this team together, then. Maybe they'll have a good time, but as of right now, I'm going to say biggest loser is the Nets and the biggest winner is the Rockets, baby. And, I mean, in terms of making things like this, Ryan, you're the one who touched on it, and I want to bring it back to you in terms of Indiana, man. If we look at this roster now, you already brought up Sabonis, who was an all-star last season, Miles Turner, TJ Warren's getting himself right after, you know, having a re-aggravation earlier in terms of an injury. Still got Malcolm Brogdon. They've got upside in the Holiday Bros and Cassius Stanley, who they got in the draft. Yeah. And now you throw Karis Levert into that mix. They're seven and four right now, and I feel like despite it being really a player for player swap, they they got better in the circumstances. So when we talk about the competition in Eastern Conference, how does this move the Pacers up on the slot? Because right now they're fourth, but I mean they're not really far behind any of these teams. They they're fourth, but the Seventy Sixers eight and four, Bucks eight and four, Celtics seven and three, and that's really just because their last game got postponed due to COVID circumstances. Otherwise, the standards could look a little bit different tomorrow. So, I mean, where we stand on the Pacers in the mix of all of this, because we touched on all the other teams, but the Pacers are the team that sneakily kind of got the best value out of doing the least work. I kind of feel like the Pacers could be a sleeper team in the Eastern Conference. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, though, is Karis LeVert and I think he's going to have a huge impact on this team, especially with playing like playing with in a lineup with uh, Sabonis, Warren, and Brogdon, who are all double-digit scorers. And then you also mentioned like we also have Miles Turner as well, who's putting up twelve and a half points a game, six and a half rebounds, and one and a half steals a game, just over um, four blocks a game as well, which is astounding for Miles Turner. Um, I think that the Pacers there's a chance that they can win the Eastern conference. I think that, you know, the past couple of years, they've always been a middle of the pack playoff team that just gets like ousted in the first round. And I've been saying that, and they needed a coaching change and then they ended up making the coaching change. Um, so I think that if they're able to get the ball rolling with, with Karis LeVert being the lead guy in their offense, Sabonis playing at the level that he's playing right now, there's a chance that we could be talking about the Pacers as a top three seed in the Eastern Conference, and I think that's a scary thought. Yeah, man. I think the big thing with the Pacers right now is the fact that they've been doing this sneaky drive for a while. I told Ian on his podcast, bro, that I'm done done betting against the Pacers because every single time I do, they make me put my sneakers in my mouth, and I cannot keep messing with them when they're also finding to get better in the meantime. And that's really the most interesting thing, but – Bringing everything back to James Harden individually and kind of looking at the grand scheme of things, right? This is one of those trades. We looked at it as Anthony Davis a season ago. Now it's James. Obviously, we've also seen Paul George as another guy who, under contract, uh, under NBA oath, was like, I'm going to stay, only to make a play and end up somewhere else. Ian, you brought this up in a group chat with us, and I think that it's perfect that we get to start with unique circumstances because – you brought this up when we were on your podcast about Bradley Beal. You and Brooks would not stop letting me know about how Bradley's going to be on the move, 
who will be in the play for you wearing the Lakers jersey. I know you trying to I know you trying to flirt something around. Yes, sir. I know y'all I know he's trying to flirt something around. So when we look at guys like Bradley, uh Jake mentioned Andre Drummond earlier. Obviously Kevin Love is in that mix too, who Lord has it been has been in trade talks longer than I've been watching basketball, it feels like. Even guys like Zach Levine for my Bulls are all guys that have been discussed in one way or another in terms of these trade scenarios and to put these three star led super teams together, right? What do you think a trade like this has that has on the impact of the market of guys like this? Because I feel like the contending teams are kind of shaking their head and saying, dang, we got to get back to the drawing board again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it applies pressure. It applies pressure for sure. Um, I think, look, I'll, I'll say this one thing before I get into it. I saw a tweet other day. LeBron made a Steph Curry no-look three, and Harden got scared and moved him out to the <laughs> Okay, so now everybody in – not only the the West, but now East is is getting a little bit more, I guess, competitive. Like we said, I kind of agree with Ryan that the Pacers, first off, I completely disrespected them before the season started, and I apologize to everybody in Indiana. Second off, um, I do think they can be a top three team. But what it does for the market, it makes, like people you said, Zach Levine, Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, who will probably be on the move. I mean, if the Cavs keep three centers who can start in the league, that's a problem, okay? You have to at least move one of them for some pieces. Because if you keep all three, what are you doing, Cleveland? But that, but that's good for Cleveland. They can move a guy like Drummond. I mean, they could keep McGee if they want, but honestly, if I'm Cleveland, I'm moving Drummond. Um, but for me, it's, it's very keen that Bradley Beal could be on the move very soon. And I'm not talking about, like, a week or two or whatever. Give it some time. Let it marinate. I'm not Bradley Beal. I don't know how he's feeling about staying in Washington. But if I put up 35, 62, and 47 in three consecutive games and catch L's, something is wrong here. <laughs> I'm, if I'm Bradley Beal, man, I need to go to a contender. I'm, I'm about to start a free Brad hashtag on Twitter, man, because he needs out of there. He deserves so much better than this right now. But that's what I think it does to the market. It makes those guys that were in rumors, like Kevin Love, like Andre Drummond, like Bradley Beal, who, oh, they could go there, they could go here. Look at contenders now like the Heat. Look at guys who are on the cusp of getting into the playoffs, try and make themselves into into contenders. The Sacramento Kings could be on the move. I mean, especially with, you know, you got guys you can move. I mean, granted, they're, they'll probably keep healed, but he's been in rumors because of his relationship with Divac. So you don't know. There's a lot of guys, superstar names that could be on the move. I'm not talking about rapidly like we saw yesterday, but once the trade deadline comes around, you might be seeing some superstars go to contender teams. I think that's what it does to the market. Now, Brooks, my man Ian said cue the A contract because he 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 trying to get Bill out of there ASAP. And I I don't he's know. Yeah. I'm not sure, bro. I'm still on the fence, but, you know, I'm holding my end because I like to see Brad do this thing for us, not anybody else. But at the same time, I understand that the circumstances right now is looking a little dicey because you throw in the fact that now the situation with Russell Westbrook's injury has become more than what we thought it was going to be, three to four weeks. And the first thing I thought, I even wrote an article on this on the side, bro. The first thing I thought was, Deja vu, bro. Last couple seasons, what's it been? Haven't seen John Wall at point guard because of injury, long-term injury. 
Now we get Russell Westbrook, damn it's good. Haven't even really got to see that many games play, and when he did, he didn't even impact winning. Now we're talking about being in a sick situation right now. Zach Levine has averaged 35 points per game the last five games. Andre Drummond is a double-double machine. This is pre-Cleveland. He was doing this with the Pistons. It was just on the low key. Kevin Love, for here and there, is still considered a guy who can be a major trade piece as a third option, maybe a fourth option on the team. And we know Bradley, we already know what time it is when that comes to him. So not even just including these guys, because you guys can always feel free to throw somebody else's name out there, because it's a lot of guys I can think of off the rip. But again, when it comes to this market, how do you think that this trade impacts stuff? Because the thing, the thing that I looked at the most was it took four teams to make a play, bro. Four teams to jump in there. And then when you go to the report and you check the breakdown, it says the Nets got James Harden. That's it. That was it. You know what I'm saying? You even look at the paces, it says Karis LeVert in a second rounder. But when you look at the Nets in and out, it says James Harden, and that's it. But you look at the Rockets readout, sounds like you read the roster off. So I think that just kind of should tell you a lot about what the moves is. But what do you think? Um, I'll say this. Ian, you keep on pissing me off, bro. Stop. Stop, man. Bradley Bill does not need to be traded. Don't, don't, don't put that out there. Do not put that. Do not put that bad energy out there, please. It's already hard enough to come. Hey, if you it. love him, let him go. If you love him, let him go, man. That's that's, <laughs> hey, that's that's fair, bro. That's fair. Let me say this though. Um, the 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 sad thing is the fact that Bradley Bill, he's not an MVP level player like James Harden. So you wouldn't have to give up a King's Ransom for him. King's Ransom for him, you know. Um, you definitely gotta trade a whole lot to get him. But I feel like the Wizards. Just with Tommy Shepard being the GM, he he probably end up drafting three European guys, and they wouldn't know what the heck to do with them. Like, Denny Denny is good, but Denny isn't a huge impact player. He's he buys into the team, he plays like buys into the defense, but he's not having like a huge impact like we want him to have. Rui year two, he's kind of like up and down. So to trade Bradley Bill like. You lose, you, it's a lose lose situation because you don't know who Tommy Shepard wants to go. Like, he's obsessed with these overseas guys, and sometimes it doesn't work out, bro. Like, I, that, that's just how I feel. <laughs> Either way, um, when you look at just the market in general, like, you bring up Zach Levine, Andre Jarman, Kevin Love, uh, let's say someone like a Buddy Hill, someone like that, like, yeah, you're definitely gonna have to get a lot of people involved. You're definitely gonna have to give up draft picks. Um, I mean, it's you 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 gain as much as you lose, basically. Like, and, we, and the proof is in the pudding with uh with Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, Pelicans get Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, they get Zion Williamson in that trade as well. You know, um, the Clippers they got Paul George, but then they gave up all their future. Like, you have to be careful with these moves, and you got to be willing to give up your future. You got to be willing to give up your death in order to do these things, and you have to really consider: is it going to be worth it? And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, but you don't, you definitely don't want to end up like the like the Lakers did when they gave up or when they got uh, a super old guy, Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. You don't want to be like the Mets again, trading for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett out of their prime, weren't able to be coming to contenders until like two seasons ago with, with D'Angelo Russell. So again, gotta be careful. 
got to be wary of everything that you're giving up. Um, I'm excited for guys like Bradley Bill and, and everybody else because that means they can go to contenders. I don't want Bradley Bill to go in, but yeah, you got to be careful. Nah, I have my modern hat on, and I see Jake make the craziest face when dude Brooks said that Beal is an MVP contender. So I'm going to start right there with that. First of all, we look at Beal. I guess this is the guy that we centering on, not only because we got a little bit of fandom in the room, but because he's probably the next closest guy in terms of value. So, Jake, I'm going to slide it to you in that regard then. In terms of somebody like his value, you saw what the trade value was for a guy like A.D., you saw what the trade value was for a guy like Paul George. You've seen what the trade value looks like for a guy like James Harden now. I would say all guys that is some respectful part of their career, whether it was last season for a guy like James Harden pretty much every other year, like Joe said earlier, a guy like Paul George in 2018 who was third in the running, and a guy in AD who went healthy is always kind of in the mix. Now you look at Bradley Beal, and like I said, I think your face told it that He's a guy who could be in the mix as an MVP contender as well. So what do you think the kind of trade package would take to even get a guy like that on the move? I mean, at this point for the Wizards, I think a trade package centered around Beal would have to include some bright young pieces because that's what the Wizards are really. They're a young team. They have a lot of good young talent. They just don't know how to use it. That falls on Scott Brooks. I don't know why he's still is in D.C. with a head coaching job. But as soon as he gets the boot out of D.C., the Wizards will be a better team. But I don't think that they should have that with Beal because I don't see the Wizards being able to win a championship before Beal's contract expires. And at this point, they need to go into rebuild mode because right now they are not a playoff team. They haven't been a playoff team um, they got embarrassed in the bubble last year by the Nets, who didn't even have Kyrie, and they still couldn't grab the eight seed. The East got better this year, and the Wizards seem to have stayed where they were, and maybe even downgraded with how we've seen Russ play when he's healthy, um, because he can go off for triple doubles, but he can't do anything else. He Listen. can't. He's not a guy that you put on your team and he helps you win. So a package for Beal, I do think there will be some that start to come because I think that this was the first domino to fall. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams that are going to want to not trade for superstar players like Harden, um, but I think Beal is definitely close to the when you speak to the kind of value that he would bring to a team. He's pretty close to Harden, if not higher, just based on his attitude and locker room presence. Um, but I think we could see Andre Drummond. I think I would expect him to be moved next simply because of someone mentioned it, like the log jam that they have at the center position. Um, and then Zach Levine, I would expect to see moved, uh, soon. And I actually would like to see some guys make their way to Miami. I think that's like the next big trade destination. Um, because they, I think we're going to see teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, try to match up with the three superstars that the Nets now have, and Miami, they have the assets. They can get a star without trading Jimmy Butler or Bam. They can include Hero, who has been amazing for them, and he's their best trade piece right now, and they have good players that they can trade. Um, And if they do that, then I would expect other teams to quickly follow. I don't think this is going to be like a trade deadline kind of thing because when you trade for – a superstar or even a star it's not like a last minute thing it's something that takes time and takes negotiating um so i think we'll kind of see it gradually throughout the season but i would expect to see a lot more 
um, like top level players start to get traded to contending teams. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of circumstances uh, that is going to be ha- is going to have to be taken into consideration over the next couple of weeks because the trade the trade deadline feels like it's actually coming faster just because of this one domino effect. It almost feels like something that's going to be here sooner than we know it. In terms of your whole thing with the Wizards, don't get me started on Scott Brooks. That is, that is a conversation that has its own podcast title to it. We're going to leave that one alone. But in terms of circumstances for this one, Joe, we're going to split it like this. We're going to move over to some of these other guys that I was kind of looking into beforehand because, you know, we've been harping on Beal. But what about guys like Aaron Gordon, guys like Julius Randle, who's putting up dang near a triple-double right now? I think that right now, even Blake Griffin, who is not playing well necessarily, but we know the kind of commodity he is as a trade asset. When it comes to stuff like this, right, we know the East has gotten better. We've already seen teams like the Hornets and the Hawks just take over either the offseason or get an influx of young talent just makes their team significantly better than it was last year. So that means some of these rebuilding squads, the Wizards, the Raptors even, who look really sketchy right now. The Bulls, obviously. And I think to a lesser degree, the Cavs, because I think they're starting to kind of make their way back into the fray. Do you see a lot more moves being made east to west now because of this domino effect? Or do you think that the Western Conference is going to still kind of start selling the farm over? Because I feel like the competition level is so, the, the margin of error is so thin in both sides. Because I feel like you're in the circumstances either in the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference where it's either you're a contender or you're a rebuilding team. That's kind of what it looks like to me right now. But I'm not sure which side would make the first play after this. Yeah, I don't know if they would be going east to west. I mean, the guys on the trade block that we can think of right off the top, we already mentioned is Bradley Beal being one of them. Uh, probably Andre Drummond, you guys mentioned earlier. I can't really think of anybody that's going to bounce west, though. Where would they go, and would it be a smart move for them? Are they going to be contending? Are they going to be playing for a bigger role? Are they trying to get a a fatter contract? I don't know. I really can't see any realistic situation uh, unless the only thing I can see is if Bradley Beal ends up finding his way to the Lakers, which is most likely not going to happen. I remember I was hearing a lot about that uh, last year, but that that's the only thing I could think of off the top of my head. Uh, these boys, man, LeBron went west and everyone went out east, man. So I, I really don't know who who's trying to go get that smoke in the west, man. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is there anybody out, out east that could go west? I mean, a handful of the guys we named off, it depends on who it was. Ryan, I think that's the perfect way to swing it over because that's how I was going to look at it too was, Dallas, sketchy. Spurs, sketchy. Nuggets, sketchy. Pelicans are a team on the rise trying to figure something out. The Rocks obviously still have P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon in their back pocket. Answer Joe's question. Is there anybody in the West looking to make a play? I would say kind of a hot take. I'd probably throw Golden State in that mix because I think that Golden State, they are not the same team right now. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. This team needs Clay Thompson more than anything because it's clear that Steph Curry needs needs a sidekick almost. He needs his splash brother. He needs his splash bro. And Clay Thompson's that guy. And I don't think Damian Lee is going to be that guy in the future. I know he's playing great for them right now. I don't think he's going to be that guy 
Eric Pascal was a bright spot last year. Not not looking like it right now. This Andrew Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell trade, in hindsight, seemed great for the Warriors, but it's kind of looking sketchy right now. I think they could have really used a guy like D'Angelo Russell, and I think that Minnesota, being able to pair him up with Carl Anthony Towns, I think it's going to be huge in order to build their core for the future. I mean, do the Warriors try to target Zach Levine? Maybe. I think that, you know, he would be an interesting um He'd be an interesting pairing with Steph Curry on the floor. Um, but who do you give up to get a Zach Levine if you're the Warriors? Obviously, Andrew Wiggins. Uber. Wiggins, Oubre. Right, okay. That, that, Wiggins, Wiggins Oubre, obviously. Oubre. That man be shooting bricks. Please. And what, replacing Oubre. Clay with bricks, man. Wasn't he like <laughs> for 40 in, on three-point field goals or something like that? Or non-dunks? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I kind of feel like this circles all the way back to Bradley Beal because he seems like the main commodity right now. And for Brooks to say he's not an MVP candidate, putting out 35 points, five rebounds, five assists. I mean, but you got to look at the record. Field. The only reason why I say well, it is because of the record. That's true. That's true. He'll be a but, contender, but he won't really be a finalist because of that record. Yeah. That's true. He's not going to the Westbrook winning the MVP in 2016 just because of the story. I mean, just. It's it's just like another thing of like where does Bradley Beal go? I mean he could go to Sacramento, maybe for Brad for uh, Buddy Heald. It'll be a good pairing for I mean, Tyrese Halliburton as well if he get if he gets starting caliber minutes. Denver, it, Denver, true. Mm-hmm. But Denver. who do you give up? The real question is for Denver, like who do you give up? Because I mean you don't want to give up Jamal. Do you give up Gary Harris? Do you give up Will Michael Barton? Porter? Michael MPJ? Porter, Gary I Harris, Will Barton. They're throwing names out like crazy, boy. It sounds like we got a little trade deadline thing going down right now. I told y'all it's coming quick. Got your head spinning. How many calls y'all think like this is going on right now? How many Skype calls with NBA GMs doing the same shit we're doing, just thinking of packages and throwing names out there? But let me throw out another question for you guys. So we know the player involvement aspect. So it depends, like, how many players you throw in for a guy like Bradley Buell or Zach Levine. How many draft picks do you throw in for a guy like Zach Levine or Bradley Beal? That's my thing. That's my thing. Because, I mean, we, we just saw eight get moved. Eight. I mean, basically, you know what I mean? And the circumstances that we're looking at right now, it's one of those things where I think Brooks might have made the quote of the podcast in terms of making moves of this caliber is that, you might have to sell the farm. And I obviously, I think that out of all the guys we've named, obviously the headliner is Bradley. I think Bradley's the guy who automatically comes to mind when you think of any trade to this level. But overall, it's almost seeming like the line starts at three to four picks. And then give me a player. And when you're talking about mortgaging your future, we know that only – Let's say, let's say maybe, I'm going to give it six teams total in the league are actual contenders moving forward. We had teams like the Heat who caught us all slipping last year. But outside of that, I think all of us can agree that we all had the Lakers in the mix. We all felt like the Clippers were in the mix. I know Ian had Boston there, and I felt pretty confident about that too. The Bucks were a team. They mesmerize us with the regular season every single year, and it's kind of hard not to pick them as a contender 
moving forward. And I would say even this year, we just penciled the Nets in without even seeing anybody come back on the court, let alone any chemistry situation. So when you look at mortgaging the future, you talk about having to get better ASAP. And I I just wonder, I, I'm with you guys, I do really wonder if the line starts at three to four picks, is it worth it? That's that's the question every GM is going to have to ask themselves in a couple of months because barely even that, really, they might even be looking in the mirror as we speak because every team, if we, if we sat down, we could do something totally separate and look at every team, and I'm sure we could all come up with one asset that they have that if they moved could potentially get them better. That's the crazy part. Every team has at least one asset of that caliber. So it's going to be interesting to see what the trade trade deadline looks like. I think it's worth it when you throw in, like, multiple teams, like the Lakers did and, like, the Nets did. Like, when when you're able to just divvy out everybody out to multiple people and you can get just as much coming in, I think it's good. Like, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be really critical on the Nets, but they definitely, well, actually, yeah, this, this is a part of just being critical of the Nets. Like, they just blessed every other team in the East in order to get one guy. You, you know what I mean? He's probably going to be at the strip club more than he is on the court. So we're going to have to see what happens, but hey, it is what it is, bro. <laughs> Let me, so let's end it out like this. Let's end it out like this, guys. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Cause we gotta, we gotta put everything in perspective for the center team with the centerpiece. They always say that the winner is the team that gets the best player in the trade. The entire panel feels uh, feels like that is not the play in this trade at all. But nonetheless, it's the MVP caliber player on the team added with two other guys who we can all argue has been somewhere in the MVP mix, if not already won the MVP. So to close out the panel, right, the biggest takeaway has to be, has to come from this. Where do you guys think that Brooklyn finishes the season with the roster that we're looking at right now? We still got Joe Harris on the squad, obviously, who's deadly from three-point. I think DeAndre Jordan's still a player on this team. And obviously they have three guys who are going to, you know, literally wreak havoc as a trio in the Eastern Conference. So not only – it's kind of a two-parter. Where do you think they finish in the Eastern Conference, but also attached to that, is it – championship or bust? And I might be already answering one question with a lot of the stuff we've already talked about, but I also feel like in year one of this, with no Spencer Dinwiddie and stuff, there could be an argument that this year might not be a bust situation. So, we'll start with Ian in the corner. What's up with that? In terms of- oh, fam, it was championship or bust since they started this whole thing. It was championship or bust since then. Now, obviously, KD was out last year with the injury. Kyrie played for the beginning of the year, then got hurt. And then on on top of that, we saw Karis LeVert take a jump, and he's not going to be there anymore. People were buzzing about the Nets. In the bu- Obviously, we knew about Devin Booker. We knew about the Suns. We knew about, you know, the Lakers, blah, blah, blah. But another story was, yo, the Nets might be nice next year, especially with how the bench was producing without their superstars. It's been championship or bust. And then they got Steve Nash as their head coach, a guy. And then they got D'Antoni as well from the Rockets. You're talking about a team that has – Pretty much all the pieces, when you look at it on paper, to make a championship and win a championship. This is a team that should win the championship. The only question is egos, personalities, and is Kyrie really ready to take that outfit role? But my thing is, and this is what I'll I'll say to him, and I think they end 
because I think there's six right now in the East, one, five or six, I want to say. I'm pretty sure they're in that range. Um, they have to hit some crazy strides, which I think will happen along the way. I mean, they're too, they are too good to not hit some sort of crazy stride throughout the season. And then on top of that, I think they'll end top three. I'm going to give them two. I just think that the Bucks are a really good – I mean, we know that the Bucks are a really good regular season team. I still think they'll find a way to get to number one, but then, you know, they'll fold in the playoffs per usual. Um, I'll say this about trades. Um, I know this wasn't a question, but I just wanted to add on to what everyone was saying. A lot of people are taking the OKC route. Remember, everyone thought that OKC folded when they traded Paul George to the Clippers. Now we know that he's pandemic P. But now we're seeing <laughs> that the OKC has so many picks to use to get these types of trades happening like we saw yesterday. We see the the Nets are trying to do it now. I mean, not the Nets. I lied. The Rockets are trying to do it now. They're following that, I guess, uh, game plan or, or blueprint. But I'll tell the Nets this: the Clippers thought they were in win now championship win now mode. They didn't even get there. If you don't get there, this whole thing was for nothing. And we're still trying to see the Clippers get there. So that's what I'm saying. The, the Nets are looking in the microcosm microcosm the rockets pacers and even okc macrocosm what are we doing what are we doing for the future i'm saying if you're not winning now getting to championships what was all of this for so i'll say they end second so uh, ian obviously pulled out joe's favorite pandemic p line for real and we praying that praying that james harden is not in that same bag but we know that james harden has his own postseason blunders too I know all y'all remember when they built a brick house out of all those three-point shots that they missed against Golden State a couple years ago. James was at the forefront of that, of course. And we know that coming down the stretch, he's going to still be a guy. Don't get it twisted now. Manu Ginobili was asked to do a lot coming off the bench as the third primary guy for San Antonio once upon a time. Chris Bosh was more pivotal to that Miami Heat team than people give him credit to. Kevin Love did his thing as a third option for that team when he, when healthy was a primary contributing option for that team and helping them be able to make that championship run. James Harden is going to be asked to do his thing in the playoffs, and it might not be dropping 30 a night, but it, he's going to be a major factor in terms of whether they win a championship. So Brooks taking that in the, into consideration, again, is the ceiling championship or bust? Because honestly, the more you kind of look at it, it's one of those things that I feel like goes either way, depending on what side of the fandom you're on. Because if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, I think you say when you trade for James Harden, I better get a chip out of it. But I think if you're in an organizational standpoint, you look at the circumstance, you say, we just gave away part of our depth. We already were missing Spencer Dinwiddie. We're concerned about Kyrie's ability to stay on the court for injury sake and now for personal reasons. You factor in all of that with the way that COVID has been ba- been able to postpone and hinder games. There's already people throwing it out there. Uh, Jake, I'll get to you then, um, with this a little bit later on. There's people who's throwing it out there as a potential asterisk season because of the circumstances. With all that being the case, again, where are we still on on contender contendership overall, championship or bust circumstances? Where are we stand on that? I mean, just like Ian said, man, it was championship or bust regardless of James Harden being on that team or not. Um, and I'll say this, bro, like, James, we know who James Harden is in the playoffs. We saw it in the finals when he debuted with the OKC Thunder. We see it when he goes, when they go over 27 against the, against the Golden State Warriors. 
We see it last year. He shows up, plays a little bit better, has one of the best plays of his career in the playoffs, avoiding um Lou Darts's uh like gamble outside the out, out of bounds and all that. Like that's probably one of his best playoff performances ever. I see a future where he absolutely just lays another egg in the conference finals, in the finals, and we all just question, was it truly worth it? You know, like this team on paper, super talented. If you don't make the playoffs, or if you don't make the, the finals, I should say, it's just not worth it. And I see something going in the middle here. I feel like if they were to make the finals, they might end up losing to the Lakers or whoever makes it to the finals. Like this is, it just feels like it's going to be a weird chemistry experience. Again, James Harden and Kyrie are not Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Who's going to be able to sacrifice? Does Kyrie want to be an Alfred again? You know, it's, it's just going to be weird. Um, and as far as is it, this being an Astro season, I feel like you could apply that more to what happened than, than against the bubble because people are postponing games. People are getting sick with the coronavirus again. You know, they, we don't know how long they're going to be gone with the, with the COVID protocol and all that. Like it just seems like a really weird season to be outside of a bubble or to even try to play basketball again. So it's, it's hard, but the bubble, like you were in an environment, you were able to just hoop. You didn't have to worry about anything else. Now you gotta be careful of who you're around. Now you gotta be careful of who you interact with. Who are your teammates around and interacting with? It's just all, it's all ripe for just a lot of controversy and ripe for decisions, second decision making and all that. So Jake, like I said before, I mentioned it earlier. We had this discussion on our podcast a, a couple of days ago, but the circumstances of this being an asterisk season, when you look at this kind of move, um, I think my biggest thing, and I'll probably touch on this in the closing more so, but when you make a move like this, there's always going to be a win-win-lose-lose case scenario. And I think in this one, one of the lose-lose scenarios is you go for championship or bust circumstances right now, but if there's an asterisk next to the season, how how do you feel about it next to how history feels about it, right? So first off, for everybody else that's already in the um in the panel that hasn't really heard your stance on the season as it stands right now, first kind of explain that and then kind of touch on how this trade might have anything to do with swaying that feeling or maybe even furthering that point. Yeah, I mean, I already see this season as looking more illegitimate than last season. And it makes last season, like, last season looks very legitimate compared to how we're seeing this season pan out so far. Um, you've, I mean, you've seen star players like KD and Jason Tatum both miss 10 to 14 days. And in a shortened season, that means a lot for playoff seeding, playoff matchups, how far you can go, and for team chemistry. Um, especially for the Nets, if, if one of your guys goes down like KD has, you miss that time to kind of mix together, especially because, and I think a lot of people like overlook this, is that I feel like the Nets jumped the ship by trading for Harden. I think it was too soon to make a generalization that they weren't good enough. Um, and they sacrificed their entire bench depth simply to get Harden, even though KD missed all of last season. So we had only seen Kyrie and KD play together for like what, 12, 13 games. Um, and so they weren't 
at that point before the trade, they were not in championship or bust mode, but now they most definitely are. Um, and someone mentioned that it's like the Clippers. This is a different kind of championship or bust. The Clippers saw their championship or bust based on contracts. It was, oh, Paul George and Kawhi can both opt out after this season. With the Nets, they're looking at age. You have KD, who's 32, Harden, who's 31. They are, I mean, unless they somehow pull off what LeBron has done and seem to get better as they get older, which I don't think they would because only LeBron could do that. This team is running out of prime time for their three star, for two of their stars. Kyrie is only 28. He's still in the midst of his prime. But this is different. And it shows, I mean, by trading all of those picks, it does show that they are in championship or bust. Because if you trade all those picks, you're banking on the fact that they will be in like the 25 to 30 range. No one would trade all of those picks and say, eh, they could be a lottery pick in a couple of years. Because if you project that, you wouldn't make that trade. Um, and so for them to do that, it really projects themselves into championship or bust season because Kyrie, I'm sorry, uh, KD and Harden are only going to get older from here on out. And it's only going to get harder for that team to kind of infiltrate the roster with young talent. And at this point, that's kind of what you need in this league. And the Nets don't have any of it right now. So, Joe, let's let's move on to something that I feel like is really important because I feel like we all kind of have a little bit of an understanding that this championship or bust window was something that got started way before the year began. I think it was something that was in motion from the minute the signings took place. And I think everybody feels comfortable in saying that this should have been a team that was in the mix, regardless of James Harden being on the squad. But something that I've been seeing slowly delayed on social media, and I kind of agree with it in a way, is that the guy who might have been a bigger loser than anybody that nobody's touched on throughout the trade is Kevin Durant, and for this reason itself. What happened when he went to Golden State in terms of his public image? Labeled a snake. For what reason? Because he put himself in a position where who you would look at you would look at the roster of Golden State and say who's beating that team, who is going to beat that Golden State Warriors team. If you look at Kevin Durant now, when he initially went to Brooklyn, the idea was he is leading Brooklyn with a wingman in Kyrie Irving as the guy on the team, and I think we all still agree that he would still be the guy above James Harden, above Kyrie Irving moving forward. But there's the argument as to this. If he wins the championship, well, dang, I don't know how much he proved when you got an MVP on your team along with another guy who is a multi-time All-Star and a guy who hit the shot of shots in the NBA Finals back in 2016. But if you lose it, it's KD blew it, put himself in a really bad spot, and now he's only got about a year or two left to really make up for it. Mm. So where do you stand on that in terms of the fact – and, Ryan, I'm going to get to you on this one too because I want you guys to be the ones to close it out with this – is I think KD might be, even be in the most awkward circumstances because he could win and still not validate himself any more than what he might have projected himself as doing going to the Brooklyn. Tough. Tough, man. Tough. Welcome to the life of LeBron James, Kevin Durant. That's been happening <laughs> to him forever, bro, where, you know, he's going to he's gonna get a lot of credit, but he will get all of the blame. J.R. Smith holds the clock out. LeBron is going to be the one getting blamed for getting swept in the fight. But whatever. Kevin Durant, uh, it, it all depends, man. It all depends. You're saying uh, Kevin Durant is the biggest loser here. I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say as of now, but 
as where it stands right now, Kevin Durant is in a better situation already just being out of Golden State. Add James Harden and potentially add Kyrie Irving. I think it's it's mostly positives there for Kevin Durant. And one thing that I've been wanting to say throughout the entire stream is this. Um, LeBron James, man, shook up the league like no other. You know, the whole reason KD and Kyrie are together because of LeBron. The whole reason KD was in Golden State was because of LeBron. All this mix-up has been like a domino effect of LeBron James kind of scaring these folks into thinking, like, are we going to have to wait until he's gone to win championships, to win anything, to, to be the man? So... This is really like all of this, everything, the James Harden thing, everything that's been going on for like the last, like I'm more, more recently five years, but dating back even more than 10 years, it's been the LeBron James domino effect. It's been incredible to see, man. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that, bro. I don't think Kevin Durant is the biggest loser in this situation here. I think honestly, he's, uh, he's in a, in a pretty good spot as it is right now. And if he doesn't win it all this year, man, I, I, championship or bust absolutely championship or bust because again they got rid of all that depth they're they're banking on doing something this year hoping that Kyrie Irving will be able to to come back if not they're about to make a lot of moves and they got picks that they could all those picks that can get moved around too so yeah man, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off and say this and finish it out by saying Kevin Durant is in a pretty decent spot uh, he's gonna get killed anyways. That, that's that's how it is. Welcome to the life of LeBron James, like I said. And uh, man, this is this is just crazy, bro. This is probably too soon though to say biggest winners or biggest losers, but I stick to what I said, man. Rockets are looking like the the biggest winners of this whole situation. And Ryan, although I don't fully agree with the circumstances in terms of it being, you know. Kevin Durant being the biggest loser, my biggest takeaway from the things that circulated around was, dang, he is in a lose-lose situation. I wouldn't say that he lost more than anybody else from the trade. He wasn't in the trade. But right. as a guy whose who's circumstances are affected by the trade, I, again, I think Joe said it best when he says, welcome to the life of LeBron James. I think that's the most interesting thing about it because the last three years has been what? KD trying to become the player in the league that is considered better than LeBron James. And maybe that's part of the maybe that's part of the circumstances. Is maybe the fact that the criticism has now maybe evened up a bit. Maybe that'll make this season mean even to him. But as a team that's in championship or bust mode for a guy like Kevin Durant, overall for this team, like I said beforehand, in a lose lose circumstance, how do you see this season playing out? Not only for the Brooklyn Nets as a franchise, but in terms of Kevin Durant's legacy moving forward in terms of this team pretty much still being on his back regardless of who's on the roster. So I want to hold out hope that Brooklyn can be the best team in the East and then make it to the finals. I mean, they have the lineup to do so right now. Kyrie at the point, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, like that's a championship winning lineup. But it's about chemistry. How are two ball-heavy dominant guards – going to coexist on the floor with Kyrie and and, uh, James Harden. That's my first main issue, and that was one of the reasons why in our last episode with the Philadelphia 76ers, the main thing that I said um, against why they should trade for James Harden is because they would mess up the current chemistry that they've already built with guys like Tyrese Maxey playing at the level that he's at, and then Ben Simmons, who's arguably having his best season right now. Um, It may not look like it statistically, but 
he, he's improved in a lot of ways, including three-point shooting. But back to Brooklyn. Um, you mentioned that Kevin Durant may or may not be the biggest loser in this trade. I don't see it like that. I do think, yes, he's in the world of LeBron James, where he's going to get criticized for everything, like Drew said. But this is a championship-winning lineup, and this is championship or bust, like everyone said. I think that this is the year where Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to prove how great they are as a duo. Um, And I think the expectation is, as high as the expectations are, I think Kyrie and KD are going to be able to get it done, especially when Kyrie gets back to the floor. But I think the main issue right now is, like I said, chemistry. How are how are James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving going to play well together? How are they even going to finish in the East? Are they even going to be a top three team like everybody projects they're going to they're going to be? Especially with the fact that Milwaukee has the number one offensive rating in the league. Indiana seems like that dark horse team that we've been talking about. Miami could be making a run at some point as well. They could maybe make some noise at the trade deadline by getting Bradley Beal, but it depends what they're going to give up for that. I feel like there's a lot of factors in play, but like I said, I'm holding out hope for Brooklyn. Yes, sir. This is a season full of high set bars. The NBA has to top what they did last year dealing with COVID by now trying to hold hold on to things and steer the ship. The Western Conference has a high bar set considering the entire conference has finally come towards the pack with the with the Lakers still being up at the top. The Eastern Conference has moved the needle significantly, and now the Brooklyn Nets, if it wasn't already high, it's even higher now. So if I can say one more conference. thing here, yeah, one more thing I wanted to throw in here. I think a sleeper winner of this whole situation, right, super sleeper winner is the Los Angeles Lakers, okay? Because LeBron James over the last couple, uh, I mean, I don't want to say, I don't want to pin it just to LeBron James, but when you look at LeBron James and his performance when he plays against pressure, he's really good under pressure, but I think he's even better when the pressure is light. Because when it was 2016 and the Warriors were dominating, it was all Steph Curry, everything. And then LeBron was just quietly having one of the best seasons of his career. And then he comes into the playoffs, still all Warriors noise until they get there. And then look at it this year. They're they're cruising. They're defending a championship. They just had a great offseason. And now the league is making all these panic moves that could potentially benefit the Los Angeles Lakers over time. And you could see this like playing out maybe in, in June and July when we would start seeing, damn, what if they would have just kept Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Maybe the Nets would have been the team to beat them. Now you take maybe them out of the running. Maybe you take uh, Houston could have been something with John Wall. Maybe now they're out of the running. The LeBron, or <laughs> the LeBron Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers, I think, are like a sleeper winner in this whole situation here. Way less pressure to defend this championship. When have we ever seen a defending champion not be talked about like that. The, no one's really talking about the Lakers like that. It's been all James Harden. It's been all like other pieces around the league. We haven't really heard too much about the Lakers. So I think that is a huge uh, a, a benefit for them moving forward. And that's what I mean when I say the bar is set so high. I was going to kind of close things out by saying that I think Joe's LeBron effect thing might be something we need to keep an eye out on because – the league is shook. The league is shook up, and I think it's going to keep shaking up, and that's the most interesting thing about it. Um, guys, it's been a blast. We had This is the first time we've had this deep of a panel on. We have four whole podcasts on, bro, and, of course, all of those social medias will be dropped down below when this video comes out, when this audio comes out. 
gonna be excellent. We're gonna keep keep an eye on everything. And bro, the NBA season it's crazy to think about it, but it's still only just started, bro. So we'll keep you guys in touch. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.